um, you may know as the, as the place where we find the God giving the Ten Commandments, um, one of the things that we want to make sure that we do this morning is to place the Ten Commandments in their rightful context. Um, oftentimes when we encounter the Ten Commandments, we see them listed out, um, but we see them listed out without the, really sometimes the understanding of the context that God presents uh, gifts the Ten Commandments to His people. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is not so much delve into uh, the Ten Commandments themselves, but rather do kind of a, um, a little bit more of a, an overview of the Ten Commandments to get the, the right context so that we understand the commands, which we'll go through in uh, following Sundays here, um, but to have a right context of how God gives these commandments and how they're to be received and understood by His people. And also, what, um, we'll look at this a little bit th- uh, today, but uh, more so going forward, the implications that the Ten Commandments have for us today. Um, so, to start off with, let's look at Exodus chapter 20, start in verse 1. And uh, I'd like to just, uh, I guess, ask the Lord to, to lead our steps here this morning as we go to His Word. Father, we thank You for, for all that You are. You are the Lord of all. You are sovereign over all things, over all people, over all rulers, over all nations, over all forces of nature. Uh, Lord, you, you are God of all. And... Lord, as we come to Your Word, we ask that You would lead us into all truth by, the, by Your Spirit, that uh, You would give us understanding, that You would be the interpreter for us of Your Word, that our, our soul, mind, our spirit would receive Your Word with gladness, that we would receive it with purpose. Uh, Lord, that You would reveal more of Yourself to us and, uh, Lord, that we would desire to know you more deeply today as we encounter your word. So, Lord, we, we ask that you would direct our steps, that you would draw us together in worship even, Lord, as we see you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Ten Commandments uh, that we're going to look at here, I think, are often... Uh, misunderstood um, because they're, the context is misunderstood. And so that's one of the things that we're going to look at intently today. Uh, let's look, start in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now this is, this is uh, what God speaks to His people before He starts going through the, the commandments. Um, now this is on the heels, remember, of uh, what we've been looking at the uh, many Sundays previous to this, and really even what Matt shared by way of, of, of bringing to light uh, how the Old Testament feasts correspond with, with things that uh, have, have happened in Christ, the fulfillments that have come in Christ, and also things to come yet. Um, that even in that were so many echoes of what we've been talking about throughout our journey of Exodus. 
And so uh, as one of the things that God has been establishing here is that He is Lord of all. So one of the things that comes out is he's, he, he, is, he is God over the Egyptians. He is God over the whole earth. He is God over the Israelites. He is God over the forces of nature. He is God over all other gods. And not that, not that he uh, says that there is any, anything to these other gods, but rather to establish, hey, in all the expanse of all the things that get worshipped, I am the only one worthy of worship, and I am, am, am over all of those things. So he alone is worthy of, of mankind's worship, and he alone has power over all. And, and in Exodus 19, one of the things that he really impresses upon his people is that they may not approach him on their terms, but must approach him on his terms. That he's the one who establishes the boundaries. He's the one who is to be feared. And so they must approach him with reverence for who he is. And so in that context then, he begins here by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we're going to look at this before we get into then the following commandments here just break this down for just a moment. His first statement there, I am the Lord, where he is, is reminding uh, the people of one, thing, one truth that he just continues to impress upon them, that he is, he is Yahweh. He has a name. He is to be known by that name because it means something. And it impresses, that name impresses upon the people who he is that He is Lord of all, that He is eternal God, that He is Creator of all things, that He is the sovereign ruler over all peoples and all nations, that He is the sovereign ruler over the natural world, that He's a supreme judge over all people and all other gods. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, um, if you want to flip back there with me, one of the things that gets mentioned as God is dealing out judgment in, upon the Egyptians and upon Pharaoh is uh, that God is not just judging the Egyptians, not just judging Pharaoh, but I think even more so, placing a judgment on, on a, uh, another group here in Egypt, in Exodus 12.12, 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." one of the things that God profoundly uh, put on display through the judgments in Egypt was that those gods that are being worshipped in Egypt, the gods that the Egyptians called out to, um, and may have looked really powerful to the Israelites, because remember the Israelites were slaves. The Egyptians ruled over them. Egyptians served their gods and it would appear perhaps to the Israelites that perhaps their gods are greater than ours even. Uh, Because here we are stuck in slavery and they rule over us. Well, God, one by one through the judgments, uh, just began to show the impotence of the Egyptian gods and display His powerful presence. And so the judgment was not only against the Egyptians and Pharaoh, but his judgment was against all other gods, that he is Yahweh, the Lord. Well, right after that, then he says, I am the Lord 
your God. That is highly significant that he introduces himself or reintroduces himself, reminds them who he is. He is the Lord, their God. He is not just some uh, supreme deity that just that only rules over everyone, but he takes a personal interest in his people. He desires personal relationship with them. We see this reflected uh, at the very beginning in Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates all the things upon the earth. He creates mankind, and he has fellowship with mankind. And even when mankind rebelled against him, God sought them out to restore fellowship with them. They ran and hide upon Adam and Eve, ran and hid from God after they sinned against him. And God went looking for them and said, hey, where are you? Of course, he knew where they were. They just didn't know where they were. And God desires to be known by his people. He desires intimate relationship with them. Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, they remind us of that. Look at what God says in establishing this covenant with the people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God desires to know His people and to be known by His people. This is a unique thing even among uh, all the polytheistic gods that He, not only is He Lord over all, but He desires to know and be known by those whom He's created. He goes on and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yahweh, their God, he alone heard their cries in desperation because of the burden of slavery that they were bearing in Egypt. He alone rescued them. He alone set them free from their slavery, from their bondage. He alone has brought them at this point through many dangers, through, through many, many things in the desert, uh, from, from the threat of enemies attacking to starvation and hunger. He alone is the one who has saved them and protected them and provided for them, and loves them. If we look at uh, chapter 18, verse 8, we see that Moses understood this. That, that the Israelites, got, they are where they are at this present moment because of all that God has done. When Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came to meet him, here's what it says Moses did. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. It was the Lord who saved them. It was the Lord who delivered them. 
In Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, we see after they were brought safely through the Red Sea, as the Egyptian army was barreling down upon them, nipping at their heels, and God closed the Red Sea on the Egyptian army, and thereby saving the Israelites through the Red Sea. They began to sing and worship God, and here's what they sang. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. They recognize that it is God who saved them. Now, God loves them, and God desires to know them and be known. One of the things that He continually does throughout the Old Testament is introduce Himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Well, that is significant not only because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob represent the, the, the fathers of, of a nation, but because they are individuals whom God met with. God desires to know and be known as He does with us today through Jesus Christ. So the Ten Commandments then are given in, the, in this context where God reminds them that He is the Lord, their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And so I want to point out four things that we need to understand about the context that the Ten Commandments are given in. The first thing is this, God's ultimate sovereign authority over all. All peoples, all forces, spiritual, uh, forces in the natural world, that He presides over all of it. He is sovereign over all of it. Secondly, um, the context that the commandments are given in, he, He has a personal interest in relationship with Israel, with His people. And so it is uh, His desire that they learn to trust Him and to fellowship with Him, to walk with Him, to love Him. The third part of uh, the context here is God's miraculous and powerful works to save them. Um, He saved them out of slavery in Egypt. He's also saved them along the way in their journey beyond uh, Egypt. Saving them through the desert in so many occasions and in miraculous ways. And then the fourth uh, part of the context here is that that the Israelites are in a blessed position if they trust and obey Him. Um, They have had a holy calling placed on them. That is, that they are called to live different than all the other peoples because they belong to Yahweh, the Lord, who has saved them, who knows them and wants them to know Him. So that's, that's the context here. And it's really important, I think, to understand that, that God has already pronounced blessing on His people. When we look back into chapter 19, He says, 
Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession and among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God has established his people in this covenant to belong to him and to be in a blessed uh, path where they operate uh, in his blessing. So the Ten Commandments here are not then a means for his people to obtain his blessing, but rather the boundaries that help them walk in the path of the blessing he's already called them to. I think that's really important for us to understand um, because we do, I think, tend to approach the Ten Commandments as God's list of don'ts. You, you want my favor? You want me to like you? Then don't do this and don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. But rather, what the Ten Commandments, the context that they are presented to God's people and to us, is that God establishes His law as boundaries to keep them in the, be- in the blessed life. Um, to to um, cause them to walk in the path of His blessing. So, that just, I wanna, I'm going to state it again. It appear, it's, it's a little redundant here, but I just think it's so important for us to understand because God did not rescue Israel out of slavery in Egypt only to bring them now to the desert where He now enslaves them with His law. God is establishing His law to help them walk in the path of His blessing. Just like a, a pilot flying in at night to a runway sees the lights along the edge of the runway, those lights um, show the path for Him to land the plane and show the warning of where not to go. That's what God's law does for us. It lays out, here is the path to walk in God's blessing, the abundant life that He has come to give to you. When you step outside of that, you wander outside of God's blessing and you wander into a path of destruction. It's a fence to protect from danger, from destruction, from division, not a fence to keep us out of greener pastures. This goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, God said, don't eat from this tree as a means of protecting them. What did they see? God put a fence around that tree because there's something good in there He doesn't want us to have. Right? Like half the cattle you drive by on the highway, it doesn't matter how good the pasture is on the inside of the fence, it's that clump outside the fence that is the good stuff. Right? And this is how we tend to think about God's law. He's teaching them here how to live free from the destructive consequences of sin and free within the the path of His blessing. So Exodus uh, 20 then presents to us the Ten Commandments are kind of like... much more profound and much more important, so I don't mean to make too direct of a connection, but kind of like the warning labels that we read on products when we buy them, right? And we'll read them and they'll say, don't do this with it and don't do that with it. And some of them get kind of ridiculous, don't they? Um, and, And you find yourself scratching your head like, why did they put this on there? 
because uh, some numbskull actually tried to do this, right? <laughs> the, here's, here's a, I wanted to read to you a few that um, ran across. Uh, there's a hair dryer that has a warning on it not to use it while you're sleeping. <laughs> so, um, for those of you who like to be highly efficient, there's a warning on an iron not to uh, use it, not to, not to iron your clothes while you're wearing them. You know somebody's tried that. There may be somebody here who's tried that. You don't have to make that known. Um, a, a bottle of aspirin that says, uh, do not take if you're allergic to aspirin. It's helpful. A toilet cleaning brush that says, do not use orally. <laughs> a can of spray paint that says, do not spray it in your face. Um... Uh, on a, uh, a torch that uh, says, not used for drying hair. <laughs> a uh, bottle of hair dye that says, uh, not to be used as an ice cream topping. <laughs> really takes the fun out of it, doesn't it? A uh, lawnmower that says, uh, not to be used as a hedge trimmer. Um, I, probably one of my relatives did that one. I don't, um, a, uh, fireworks that said, do not put in the mouth. It's always good advice. A toaster that says, do not use underwater. <laughs> You'll ruin your toast and your day. A mattress that says, uh, do not swallow. I don't even know what to say to that one. Uh, and then the last one I'll leave you with is a microwave warning that says, do not use for drying pets. So, you've been warned. Now, as ridiculous as those are, we don't look at those warnings and think, well, man, they're just trying to keep me from doing something really cool with this. Right? We read them and we go, yeah, I mean, as ridiculous as they are, really what they're, what they're suggesting is this thing was designed for a specific use. And when you wander out of, of that path and use it for other things, you go into dangerous territory. You swallow a mattress. <laughs> Look, I know how the old lady died, right? <laughs> so don't swallow the mattress. So the Ten Commandments here are God giving us a warning of where the boundary lies of wandering outside of His blessing and into destruction. And that destruction affects us directly. It also affects our loved ones, uh, our spouse, our children. It affects our friends. It affects our descendants who come after us. Now, the Ten Commandments are given essentially in, in two groups, though I don't want to get too Western here and start chunking everything up and putting it in boxes. Um, we do notice that there are two groups of commands given to us. And there's a, a reason that they're given to us in the order that they are. 
um, the one that we'll call the vertical commands. That is, the commands that are directed at us loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other group of commands that are oriented towards loving our neighbor as ourself. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, we see Jesus uh, questioned about what is the greatest command. So if you want to flip there with me, we're going to look at how Jesus answers this question. Now remember, Jesus is the Word of God. Uh, beginning of John's Gospel, um, he presents to us that Jesus Christ, the Word, become flesh and dwelt among us, was present because He is God. He's been, he, he is eternal. So at, at creation... Present is Jesus. Jesus here is, is then uh, when present here in Exodus chapter 20 at the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so him being the author of life and the author of the commandments, it, wouldn't you think, hey, if Jesus says something about what the commandments mean or, or anything about them, we should probably listen, right? It's his commandments. He's the author of it. All right, so Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus is, is making clear here is that the commandments from God can essentially be condensed down to two basic commands. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as God loves them. That's, that's essentially all the commands of God boiled down to its most condensed form, those two commands. And so we see as we go through the Ten Commandments, we're going to see the vertical commands and the horizontal commands. The vertical ones that have to do with our relationship directly with the Lord and the horizontal ones that have to do with our direct relationship with mankind, the people in our lives. The horizontal commands then, the ones that have to do with us loving others, are established upon the foundation of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That, those first commands that direct us towards how we are to approach God, worship God, be loyal to Him and devoted to Him, those first commands that direct us in our relationship with God then establish a foundation for which are the commands that teach us about how we get along with one another, are built upon. And this is critically important that they're laid out this way because one of the things that's repeated over and over and over throughout Scripture and one of the things that we see uh, that is such a profound truth is that if we don't have a right view and understanding of who God is, we will have a wrong view and understanding of each other and relationships and how we're to treat one another. Um, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says that 
to, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. So the fear of the Lord uh, leads us to live in a way that tends to prolong our life and give us a, offer us a much better life than wandering away from the fear of the Lord and operating with a rebellious heart will tend to lead us towards a short life full of sorrow and pain of various shapes and sizes. So if we don't first then have a right understanding of the author of life, how are we ever going to arrive at a right understanding of human life? Um, Because contained within the commands is that we are not to murder Right? But if we don't revere and fear the author of life himself, what, what grounds will we have for valuing so sacredly human life? If we don't revere the author of marriage, the one who says, do not commit adultery, the one who says, do not cover, covet your neighbor's wife, then how in the world are we going to rightly have a respect and reverence for the sacred covenant of marriage? If we don't revere the author of truth who says do not bear false witness against your neighbor, then what grounds do we have to value truth in our own life? What, what grounds do we have then to not sprinkle our days, our conversations, our, our interactions with others with lies? Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, one of the things that we do is turn away from evil. Walking in the fear of the Lord causes us to turn away from the things that are outside of the boundaries of walking in the path of His blessing. And this has um, the consequences for either obeying or not obeying God, operating in the fear of the Lord or not operating in the fear of the Lord with reverence to Him or not reverence to Him, um, has consequences not only for ourselves, but also for, for our children, for, for those who are close to us, and for those who would be our descendants who come after us. Proverbs 14.26 says about the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. So when, if you have uh, a spouse and children, um, when you walk in the fear of the Lord, your whole family benefits and is blessed from that. Now they still have personal decisions they need to make to walk in the fear of the Lord, but they receive a second-hand blessing through you because you walk in the fear of the Lord. So the vertical commands here that God establishes actually have a warning and a blessing pronounced over them. Uh, we see that in, uh, in verse 5. 
and 6 of Exodus 20. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, speaking of other gods and images, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Here, look at this, how heavily God leans the blessing um, more uh, to, to those who would fear him and love him. He says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I, I am firmly convinced that while, um, while we see so many things in our nation today that are contrary to walking in the path of God's blessing, we still continue to be blessed by many who have come generations before us and laid a groundwork and trusted in God for themselves, and we are still receiving the blessing of those faithful people who came many generations even before us. The consequences from obedience or disobedience to God's laws, they have, um, there are two ways that we meet these consequences. Um, There are natural consequences. That is, um, if we commit adultery, we are going to fracture and maybe destroy the relationship that we have with our spouse, which devastates our children, and also hurts the other people around us that we love and changes the trajectory of the rest of our days, what they're going to look like and how our relationships are going to be with the people we care about. Now, those things are repairable. Um, God, can, God can bring healing, but those, those wounds can never be undone. Um, there are consequences when we commit murder, not only the consequence of uh, if, if we are convicted of the crime and, and imprisoned because of it or uh, put to death because of it, but also uh, all the other things that come along with that that just wreck our life. When we, when we walk outside of the boundaries that God establishes here, there are natural consequences that bear out in our life. But God also, on top of that, says that He will bring punishment against that as well. So there is a natural consequence that comes to bear that actually continues to affect our children and their children. Our relationship with God and whether or not we fear Him and obey Him, it affects that those who come behind us. If we don't revere the name of God, unless God does something miraculous in our family tree, our children definitely will not fear the name of, uh, of the Lord. And as you go down the family tree, there will be a further and further wandering from God's blessed path. But God also says that He brings a punishment to bear on those who hate Him. But here's the kicker. He says he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is way more interested here in blessing 
and knowing and being known and establishing fellowship with us, relationship with us in love than he is in punishing us. The Ten Commandments here um, have at least a couple of functions. I'm sure there are more, but here are two of them that I want us to understand as we look at the Ten Commandments. One uh, that we've already been talking about here is that God... uh, it, it keeps God's people from wandering outside of His blessing and protection. And one of the things I know that, uh, especially as our children were younger, that we would teach them is when you obey mommy and daddy, you're protected by us. We can protect you when you obey us. Because we give commands like, don't touch, right? Um, don't walk out into the street, like there, there are commands that we give our children that are meant for their protection, and when they wander outside of that, they wander outside of our ability to protect them. Such it is with God. God establishes His law, His commands, and as so long as we operate within those, we walk in His blessing and under His protection. When we wander outside of those, we wander outside not just of His blessing, but also outside the walls of the fortress that He is for us and expose ourselves to all kinds of destruction and dangers. The second one is this, that the Ten Commandments actually expose our deep need for God to save us. And they actually are intended to lead us not to obtaining righteousness by obeying the law, but to train us to seek righteousness by faith. That's the, the sort of uh, maybe counterintuitive thing that for us as we approach God's law is God, the keeping of God's law is actually to train us that righteousness comes by faith, not by the keeping of the law. When did God give His law to His people? After He establishes the covenant with His people and says, you will be blessed if you trust Me and love Me. Now operate within these bounds to walk in My blessing. He does not say, you will be righteous in my eyes if you do all of this stuff perfectly. And so as we, as we see the, the, go through the Ten Commandments and we look at the Old Testament covenant, what we see is that the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant are so similar. Barring one, the Savior, Jesus Christ, who bears the sin and guilt of all. But God's covenant was always a covenant of faith. Not a covenant of doing everything right, of obeying the law perfectly, but a covenant of walking in His ways, fearing Him, and walking with Him by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 actually exposes this and says, and says that those who came in the old covenant days actually looked forward to Messiah. They looked forward to God's rescue they looked forward by faith to the, to the redeeming work that God would do. Consider um, the old covenant here that God has with His people. The Lord saved the Israelites because He chose them and loved them, not because they did something to uh, earn it. The Israelites were acceptable to God because they trusted and loved Him, not because they had some tremendous, awesome works to contribute. 
the, their obedient works, the abiding of the Ten Commandments here, is to be a demonstration of their faith and love for Yahweh. Not their means of obtaining His approval or acceptance. And so we see these same characteristics in the New Covenant. Now in Christ. Two covenants, same God. God saves. Here's uh, one thing that we, we note in the New Covenant that we see a similarity is that God chose us and loves us and not because we deserved it. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. God's blessing comes by His choosing, not by our earning. Second thing is that we are acceptable to God by our faith in Christ, not by our obedience to the law. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by the grace of God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, not by clicking off all the Ten Commandments. Um, it's interesting that as we look, look in the Old Testament, we see Abraham, pre-Ten Commandments, um, that he grasps that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when God asks him to take the thing that he treasures most in this world and to sacrifice it to him, which was his only son, Abraham's only son, Abraham goes to work to do just that. That there would be nothing that he values or reveres more than the Lord himself. When we get to the new covenant, there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, right? And uh, the rich young ruler says, yeah, and I've kept them all. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler, unlike Abraham, can't part with his stuff. He can't part with his earthly treasure and he goes away sad. We are acceptable to God through faith and obedience that flows out of that faith, which is the third thing here. That our obedience to God's law does not earn His blessing, but is a demonstration of our love and trust that keep us in the path of His blessing. Look at John chapter 14, verse 21. 
Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now, it's kind of the way it's spelled out here. Um, we just need to understand what Jesus is saying, and he says this actually uh, in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So Jesus isn't saying that obeying the commands is loving him, uh, but rather, if you love him, you will obey his commands. If you fear the Lord, you will walk in his path that he's laid out for you. Um, so if we love the Lord, we're going to obey his commands. And he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There is a uh, blessing that comes from obedience that flows out of our faith and love in Him. Obedience void of faith and love in Him, it's void of the very heart of obedience. Because by nature, the obedience God calls us to is one that involves trusting Him and loving Him. We are acceptable uh, to God through faith, and He has presented to us the boundaries to keep us in the path of the abundant life that He's blessed us with. And so in Christ, God's Ten Commandments are not our accusers to point the finger at us and say, there's where you've messed up, there's where you've messed up, you are not qualified to belong to God, you don't deserve Him, the truth is, we don't deserve Him. We already know this. We don't need the law to accuse us more when we've come to the cross where we've received forgiveness of those sins through Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay the full penalty uh, against our sins before our righteous judge. God Himself bore our sin, paid that penalty, to satisfy his own judgment, to rescue us like he rescued the, Egyptian, the, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. He, he bore his, the, his, our sin to rescue us out of slavery to sin, to set us free from that and give us the hope of eternal life. And so the, the, God's commands now become not our accusers, not our slave masters, but our companions to help us walk in the path of God's blessing, to teach us where the boundaries lie to the abundant life, and to avoid the curses, the pains, the sorrows of sin that Christ came to set us free from. Those things that will affect not just us, but also our families and the generations who follow us. And so as we, in future Sundays here, walk through the, the commands themselves, we need to understand that the context is God laying out, here is the runway of my blessing. Walk in it. Proverbs 3, to close here, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh 
and refreshment to your bones. What is laid out here to us in Proverbs is to trust in the Lord and to not lean on our own understanding is to walk in the path of the fear of the Lord in obedience to Him. It's to walk in the path of the Ten Commandments that, 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 that shore us up on either side. When we wander outside of the Ten Commandments, we trust in ourselves. We lean on our own understanding. But God says, be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Have you wandered outside the path of God's blessing because you have walked by your own understanding and not by the fear of the Lord? Have you begun to experience more and more the consequences of sin in your life and in the lives of the people that you love? Though Christ came to set you free from that and your family that you love? The solution is not more of your own understanding. The solution is the fear of the Lord and to walk in that path. To come back within the boundaries that God has laid out and to trust that what He has laid before you is a path of life. It is, it is not a zoo that God has put you in. It is a prison that He has set you free from. The world does not have anything better to offer to you. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. God has shown you the way of blessing. God has shown you the way of life. And now said, walk in it. Lord Jesus, thank You for showing us the path of the blessed life. Thank You for showing us how we can walk in the fullness of life that You have died to give us. Thank You for setting us free from the entrapment of sin and death. And Lord, given us eternal life. Thank You for loving us, for choosing us, for saving us. Lord, we ask that we would so love You and so trust You that it would overflow in our lives in the form of obedience to Your commands, knowing that, Lord, You are good and You have set us free from slavery. You have not now called us into a different type of, of bondage, but rather set us free in Christ to walk in the fullness of the life and blessing that You have come to give us to walk in fellowship with our Creator, the, one, the lover of our souls, to fill us with all good things, and to lead us and the, those we love in that path. Lord, for those today, Lord, who would try to break free from the path of sin that they have wandered into, perhaps recently or perhaps over years, Lord, I ask that You would that you would rescue them out of the bad course that they have gone on, to bring them back within the bounds of your blessing, to bring healing and refreshment to them and to those whom they've hurt, to the damage that they've done. Lord, to bring forgiveness and healing and to, to begin to repair and to begin to teach them once again how to walk in the path of your blessing. And for those who have not yet given their life to you, to trust you, to believe that, Lord, you have called us to something far greater than this world 
ever has to offer us. Lord, I ask that you would help them to take that step of faith to give you their life today, to embrace you and receive you by faith as their Lord and their Savior, the one who died to rescue them and set them free. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. seated for just a moment. As we close out our service today, one of the things that, that we want to, to do is to honor those who have, uh, have given their life, and really in a reflection of, of the way in which Christ has given his life for us, though not in that ultimate way, they have given what they can give to offer to us uh, freedoms that we enjoy today as we gather to worship freely one another, as we speak freely the name of Christ without suffering of any kind of legal consequence or otherwise. Um, we, we are so blessed. And we are blessed because God, God passes down a blessing to thousands for those who love and trust Him. And we still enjoy that today in our nation among us. And I pray that there's enough of us who will love and trust Him yet that we can continue to pass that blessing on to others. Uh, but as we close our service today, I uh, would like to uh, invite Harold up. He had some things he would like to share. And then we're going to close um, with taps as a way of remembering those who have given their life for ours. Well, this is uh, this isn't a whatever. This isn't a day to buy mattresses. And Kevin Kinslow and I are uniformed up today in honor of our fallen. And particularly, I have two uh, prayer requests. As you know, in all the news, uh, we are pulling out of Afghanistan. We've been there 28 years. And I don't need to explain that or whose politics. But we're about to leave uh, all of the interpreters that were really lifesavers among the troops that were there. And the same uh, occurred in Laos and everywhere else and in Iraq. And the culture in Afghanistan, I can guarantee you that uh, there won't be a woman or a daughter of those interpreters, they hope they die before uh, they're taken because they, they will be tortured and savaged and that will be the end of our legacy there. So pray that our government will do the right thing and uh, get those interpreters and their families out of there. We've made mistakes uh, like that in Laos and that was the secret war. Uh, well, it wasn't so secret uh, for some of us that were there, 
and they were the Hmong and the Hmong people, great people, and those in Iraq now pray also that the Veterans Administration will honor the request of all those who served in Iraq, which Kevin Kinslow was one, Jacob Rogers was another, and the toxic burning of all of the dis discarded material, uh, highly toxic chemicals, and that were, the guys breathed that uh, day and night through there, and that was supposed to be their normal. Uh, the troops get to always be the normal, and regardless who makes that decision. And so uh, remember to pray that the VA honors these things. There's lots of respiratory things that probably even Kevin can uh, relate to, as well as other diseases. And then the last thing, uh, a personal thing, I just want to honor uh, one of the Gold Star uh, members in our family. Uh, that was uh, Sergeant William Stutes, uh, who ended up being the father of our daughter-in-law. Uh, he was a buddy in the Marines in uh, Vietnam. He was platoon sergeant, and I'll make this short. Uh, we'd encountered uh, quite a bit of contact with the uh, North Vietnamese troops, and so we made the decision we would beef up the point Generally, it's a, one individual on point, and they rarely uh, li live that long. But so we beefed it up to three, and Stutes stepped up and relieved Wilson, a uh, kid from Oregon, and said, I, I'm taking your place. Which uh, the platoon sergeant, uh, that wasn't really his place, uh, to be there, and I, uh, I challenged him on that. I was the uh, platoon commander for all the machine gunners and the 3.5 guys and the cycle charges. And he says, no, nope. he says, uh, I'm doing this. So uh, here, here goes the, the three Marines spread out in a line, and we knew the enemy was well dug in. We'd already been through that. And... Uh, Corporal Wolf was on the point, Lance Corporal Braswell, and then Sergeant William Stutes. And uh, suddenly all the leaves in the jungle uh, started disappearing and limbs and everything else. And uh, we had found uh, the unit that we were hunting for. And all of them uh, went down, and, uh, including Stutes. And I managed to get to Stutes. Uh, the other other two I could see were dead, but uh, from the amount of uh, wounds. But uh, Stutes was still trying to get up, and I got to him, and he grabbed onto uh, my boots and trying to pull himself up. And about that time, uh, one of the uh, uh, NVA, uh, there were spider traps. You probably don't know what a spider trap is. It's not the eight-legged kind. But spider traps are uh, dug uh, foxholes that uh, drop on into a tunnel, and the sniper, uh, or not necessarily a sniper, but the troop, uh, he has holes chopped in each side of the hole so he can walk up that uh, chute. And the top is a lid, either a brush, or if it's in a paddy of a dried paddy, 
Maureen brush and there's a little tree on it. And he has a stick uh, that he can raise it up, you know, like a window, stick it in one of the holes, and then he shoots out of it, he can drop it back, and you have a hard time finding, well, they were, uh, just like his room there, they were, they, we found out they were also beside us and be, behind us, and uh, I got to Stutes, and I thought I could get him uh, a drug to a little, little bit of a cover, which was impossible. And uh, another uh, NVA raised up about there and, and killed him. And so with uh, that, but years later, uh, the phone rang, and it was his daughter that he had never met. And uh, she ended up being our daughter-in-law. So in remembrance of uh, all of them had fallen, and Kevin was a leader in the Marine Corps of troops as well as the Army, and in Iraq, and like I say, uh, Jacob Rogers was in the CBs in uh, Iraq. And so let's pray that the uh, Veterans Administration, you know, honors uh, you know, what uh, that they endured. So let's pray now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day, and we thank you especially for all of those and for the families that are left behind. In your precious name, I ask it. Amen. and keep you.